Shafee. Shafee, are you there? Uh, um, what did the man say to the carrot? What? Uh, nothing silly. Man can't talk. Here we are once again. Night has fallen on the hill country here in East Austin, Texas. Here I sit behind my mic in my ivy-covered castle, waiting to talk to my friend way up on the north side. He's known colloquially as the man inside two garages. He's the pride of Tarzana, California. He's a veteran of the Falkland Island Wars. His, he's Matthew Rampy, and he's right here. And everybody casts some parts, some parts. <laughs> Man, the Falklands were hell. <laughs> the, uh, the, can you remember what? Why were the Why were the Falklands? Were they strategically? I would have to go to the Wikipedia article. I uh, knew at one time. I wish we had studied it between casts. I didn't know they, there was going to be a quiz. <clears throat> <laughs> the Falklands. They must have been strategically important somehow, or maybe there was was were there high deposits of uh, u euphonium or uh, you say uh, that that I'm a that parchmentium. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> the important mineral parchesium. <laughs> I love the romanticism of that idea that you saying that about me, but the question it begs the question, which side was I on? Was That's I fighting with the Brits or was I with Argentina? And yeah. also I'm vaguely worried of of offending a real veteran of the Falkland Island War. Right, uh, somebody who Sorry. is uh, somebody out there in Australia listening to this. I fought for what did I? I, I didn't. We we've got to do we got to do some research and talk about this again. <laughs> we definitely do. We How can, are you tonight? I'm doing How? great. Maybe we can. Uh, I'm excited about tonight's show. Yeah, we have our guest buddy Jameson Driscoll. Maybe we can ask him to shed some light on the Falkland Island Wars when he comes on. Our, I mean, guest buddy. Uh, you mean co-executive producer? Co-executive Driscoll? producer, emeritus, and best friend from way back when, Jameson Driscoll. I'm looking forward how he, to talking to him. That's how he likes to be. That's how he likes to be referred to these days, I guess. Okay. Yep. Well, what's going on with you? We we survived uh, the polar vortex. Life is yeah. getting back to normal. What's what's going on over there? The icicles hanging from the side view mirror of my car have melted, and yeah, we're 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 getting back to normal. I uh, you know probably what another twenty four hours or so I'll probably be turning the turning the AC on would be my guess. The way oh, things sure. go around here, am I right? Sure. Yeah, where's your flip flops? I, uh, Matthew, real quick, it's I forgot. I meant to do this after your uh, after your song parody. Uh, I wanted to do a very short song parody of my own. It's dedicated 
it's dedicated to you. Okay. I was uh, I was texting with uh, good friends of the show, Cat, uh, Cat and Jeff, and Chardet came up because uh, I was I suggested to them. I feel like it's there's some point in mature adulthood when everybody's favorite singer becomes Chardet. I'm not sure that was a theory of mine. Maybe it doesn't hold up. But well, I, I think it's pronounced Sade. Sade? It's yeah. Not Char- it's not Sade? It's not Sade. I don't think so. I think it's Sade. And mine was um, 25. I was 25 years old, and Sade was all the world to me. For me, it was for me it was more like 35. But I definitely I I came around to where I where I really loved Sade, and uh, and then this song this is this is my song parody dedicated to you, Matthew, and it goes, Smooth Podcastator, Smooth Podcastator, Smooth Podcastator. I love that. <laughs> and I won't go on. <laughs> I love that, but and I, I think you should always sing your your song parody ideas, but you could also give them to me. <laughs> you know, it's not easy to it's not easy to do them over and over. Like if you've got I, one, maybe just write it on the show sheet. And I don't mind. Yeah, if you if you ever want to use that one at a future time, okay, I yeah. think that that'd be fine. I'm gonna let like a hundred episodes pass, and I'm gonna use that. One. <laughs> I think everyone will enjoy it. <laughs> I think there was a, there was a new album like around the time I was 25. Um, is that right? I yeah, Lo- Lovers Rock came out in like late 2000, and, and I was I was you know I was I wasn't quite 25. Sade was a protege of Prince's. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? No, oh. that I, I don't think that is correct. She's you know she's Nigerian and and English. Mm. She, um, yeah, she's she's a Brit. She she could probably tell us a little more about the Falklands. <laughs> 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 All right, what else? What, what else we got going on? <laughs> I think we I think we better we better get Jameson on quick to, to save us to save us from ourselves before. <laughs> before well, see, we that's just... what I wanted. To, I, what I wanted to do here was give a really shite intro and have <laughs> Jameson come on. And be the hero again in our lives. <laughs> he is he is our hero, isn't he? I'd like to welcome co-executive producer, co-executive Shade. emeritus, uh, uh, Sade lover. I I I used to be this guy's life coach, <laughs> Jameson Driscoll. Now the What's coach up, has become the coach. Hello, how are you guys? We're doing we great, buddy. Are how are great. You? I'm good. I'm really, really excited to be here. And what do you know, know about the Falkland really. Island War? I don't, I don't, nothing really. <laughs> England and uh, Argentina, Argentina, some sort of, you guys, you guys, sovereignty or something. you guys talk for a little bit and I'm just going to look that up. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not familiar with uh, Sade, actually. I, I haven't reached that. What? Yeah. Oh, dude. The first I've heard that name. You have that to look. You don't know. To. Wait, Jameson. You don't know Smooth Operator. 
Well, yeah. I've yeah, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, but you, I mean, you, you got to listen to the Lovers Rock album, man. Well, Lovers right. Rock from the year two thousand. That's it's so great. Hey, we're not we're not here to shame our guests, Matthew. Oh, oh, okay, no. okay. No <laughs> right. shade, no shade shaming. This is a safe space. I always feel <laughs> like that our guests are here to shame us. <laughs> oh, no. I guess you're here to to make us shine. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of pressure. Are Jameson, you, how's it going are, in Lubbock, Texas tonight? Lubbock's good. Lubbock's good. You know, we we didn't suffer as much up here through the snow snow uh, snow apocalypse as, as you guys did down south or in the bigger cities. Um, so we were very fortunate. You know, the, the schools were shut down. We were we were snowed in all week, but we never lost power. Never had we had water, so we felt really fortunate. The worst uh, for me was just too crazy children running around the house um and that's still going on tell the um, hunter tell the hunter gatherers the ages you're dealing with i've got a four-year-old little girl max or maxine and uh you don't have to say the milo. names oh i'm sorry well and the other one milo i like to say the name uh, okay. uh about 20 months old i want to say the little ones little ones that sounds like torture can be yeah can be as the day wears on it gets worse and worse it can you be know, a lot it can be a lots of fun too can it yeah yeah no they are, they're they're adorable um when they're not screaming at you shout out to my two-year-old nephew who gave us that joke about mud at the top <laughs> yeah. what's was was the punchline mud don't lie <laughs> mud doesn't talk Oh, mud doesn't talk. Yes, <laughs> I think I think he maybe gets a lot of mileage out of that joke, just because you you know you really do it. Anything you'd be like, what did the table say to the wall? Nothing silly. Tables don't talk. Or, what did the grass say to the sky? Nothing silly. <laughs> the grass doesn't talk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty versatile. You can, <laughs> you can go all night. <laughs> yeah, you can just just keep keep riding that one. <laughs> right to start them. <laughs> Jameson, tell the hunter gatherers what you're doing in Lubbock, Texas. Tell them about the uh, program you're working. Sure. That makes it yeah, sound like well, 12 steps. It's not. It's not. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an accredited program at Texas tech university. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've come back to graduate school to do uh, a master's of fine arts in arts administration and it's a program in the inside the school of theater and dance. So I've it's my return to the world of theater after about a ten year hiatus. Um, Only twelve steps. <laughs> There's way more than twelve steps. That sounds difficult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about a three year endeavor um, if I do it right. And that's going to equip you to. Well, uh, you know, run a theater. Um, I'm coupling it with my with an MBA that I got some time ago. So ideally, I'd be able to open and run my own sort of performance space or go into an existing organization and really be able to get, you know, to the executive director level. So hopefully that's where it'll lead. I don't think I'll I think there's a long road ahead of me there. But yeah. <laughs> 
If you open your own performance space, do you think you could get Schaefer and I like a stage show there? Like a like an extension um, of the cast? Maybe. I'm sorry. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be networking on the show. I Jameson just quit my job. I'm just Jameson thinking about is, my future. Jameson's actually at various times uh, talked about working us into like uh, as as uh, hypotheticals for the various work that he has to do for his program, though. I have, I have, I have. I've thought of, uh, been thinking about creating sort of uh, a nonprofit company, creative company that uh, would support all kinds of endeavors, like podcasts and otherwise. Podcasts yeah. are worthy yeah. endeavors, worth worthy yeah. of support and patronage. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And you guys, you seem like you could use some funding. Well, yeah, especially with the recent quitting of one's job. <laughs> I specifically need a new laptop. Well, we could also we, we need to go get, fund me. Sorry, sorry, Shafe, go. We could also get the uh, the other uh, spinoff podcasts off the ground, like the one that you and Alex Battles have been planning to make, where you, <laughs> as, as far as I can see, you, you kind of talk about. What we talk about here, I think, right? Or uh, discuss one magical hour. Yeah. Oh my god, that would become immediately yeah. my favorite podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like how you say we've been discussing it because I feel like we have, but it's, it's we've been discussing it psychically. It's not as though Alex and I have exchanged words, uh, <laughs> but I do feel a conversation is going on there. It's uh, through through this medium. Well, yeah, yeah. You mentioned something to me, and then I mentioned it to Alex, and then Alex mentions it back to me, and then I mentioned it to you. A proxy, yeah. But I think it's a great idea, and I, I hope to see it get off the ground. I'm sure. I'm sure everybody would want to tune into that. Mostly that would... with Alex has that beautiful voice. I'd do anything with him. Oh, right. He's right. That's a voice, voice like butter. Okay, I want to take this. Um... I want to give this some framework. I'm going to, Jameson, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask a lot of guests on here. And of course, just to be clear, Jameson and I and Schaefer, we're all from Lubbock and we were in school together. You you guys were in middle school together and I went to, I graduated high school with y'all, right? You know, it's not like Schaefer introduces me to a lot of new people on the cast, but I like to ask this question. Sure. Do you, when, when did you first meet Schaefer? Tell tell us about your fir- your first meeting of Schaefer. Huh. Well, I first met Schaefer when he arrived in Lubbock in ninth grade. I had I had been in Lubbock, I guess, since sixth grade. Uh, oh wait, you had? Where'd you come yeah, from? Yeah. Well, I I had lived in Houston. Oh. Okay. And Schaefer had just moved from Houston, so oh. we immediately connected because I had been there for a few years thinking. Everybody in Lubbock's crazy. Yeah. In a real place. <laughs> in the back of town. And then walks this. You poor bastards. Like, I just moved here from Houston. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know what the real world's like. And, <laughs> and we, we clung to each other uh, and helped each other through those awkward, uh, that awkward ninth grade year. And we've been helping each other through all the subsequent awkward years. <laughs> Jameson, I think you must have, we probably, well, we had a couple of classes together, I think, but I definitely I, remember Miss Newland's theater class. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, that's definitely think. Yeah. Theater with Miss Newland and then the subsequent auditions for Lil Abner. We definitely wow. spent a lot of time together. 
Ah, I love it when you sing that number. Has <laughs> anybody has, has uh, one magical nation heard your? I don't think it's ever here? been. Uh, I had one very brief. So yeah. I played. I, so I I played the bad guy in Little Abner the Musical. Uh, his name was Earthquake Magoon, and my only real like. <laughs> I had a little solo at the beginning just when I introduced myself. It's really my only solo in the whole show. And it went, step aside for Earthquake Magoon, busting out all over like June. I stands on the corner, enormous and honorary, making the fair sex swoon. My secret desire is to tangle with Daisy May. <laughs> and that was is that a Was that adult content? Kind of, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Adult yeah. themes. Yeah. Kind of talking. Yeah. That was fantastic. You're welcome, One Magical Nation. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Somebody has to have that VHS somewhere, right? Uh, I think I have it. I, uh, in fact, I think my mother transformed it into a DVD so we can, it'll last a few more years. Oh, wow. So, of course, I knew both of you guys through Dave, but I didn't actually go to school with y'all till senior year, right? And, you know, you guys were like, y'all were like a team, a theatrical team. And then I, I thought y'all were like very interesting. Just to be clear, uh, I, I thought you guys were very interesting. <laughs> and, um, uh, this now, you guys both lived in New York during the same period, right? What, That's what, right. what were the overlap years in New York? We I both got moved up a year ahead, yeah. But, but then you came about a year after I'd been there about a year. We moved into we moved an apartment in Greenpoint in February of 2000. Thereabouts, okay. right? Yeah, that was a that quite was a, a bit of fun. With a, Benjamin Murphy, Ben Murphy's been yeah. on the show. Uh, Lizzie McGlynn will probably be on the show at some point. And uh, yeah, it's good old fashioned fun. And Jameson, you were doing theater in New York. Yeah, yeah, I think that was probably the. One of the best, my best years when it comes to theater, uh, where I had moved, I had finished up at UT, nineteen ninety nine, doing some Shakespeare, right? Yeah, I, I, I took a job before I moved to New York. I took a job dancing for uh, Dino Kartsinakis in uh, in uh, Missouri, in Branson, Missouri. <laughs> if you don't know Dino, he's the the Christian Liberace. Uh, and, uh, I don't. He, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you can go look him up. If, you, Can we go out with a Dino track? I mean, Matthew, do you know what Branson, Missouri is? Because I didn't. I, I, I do know what Branson, Missouri is. Yeah. yeah. Just just him saying Branson is hilarious. It's mm -hmm. Baptist Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> so Las Vegas without the drinking, gambling, and uh, extracurricular other things. Now, you don't have to be Baptist. You could be Presbyterian and enjoy... <laughs> Branson too. <laughs> right. the, the the shows that you, the other shows in town at the time were Yakov Smirnoff, 
had a thing going. <laughs> What's well, um, a podcast? The Osmonds, not Donnie and Marie, but the rest of them. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that Lawrence Welk was still around. And uh, who's the guy that sang, sang Blue Valentine? That guy. Anybody get at us feedback? I would yeah, imagine. I can't remember his name. He was there. Wasn't yeah, Pat was Pat Boone there? Or Glenn Campbell or Glenn Campbell? Yeah, I got, I, I got to meet Glenn Campbell. I, I went to a show. That's so uh, cool. And the, I it was it was an amazing night. So, and I'll have to tell you about it just briefly. Don't make it brief. This is long form. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so. So the our, the guy that choreographing choreographing the show I was in, in Dino's show, he had in the past uh, worked for Glenn Campbell, so he, he and Glenn were friends. And so when Glenn he was he didn't have a residency, but he came in and did a couple shows at the Mansion or whatever the big theater they have there. And so we got to go to the show, meet him before the, the show backstage, and then watch the show. And then after the show, we all went up to the. There's only like one high rise hotel in town, and he you know he had the the bar shut down for himself and we went up there with him and all of his family. And then he proceeded to karaoke all of his own songs again, uh, all night long, him and his family would pass the mic around and, and they, and I think they went through his songbook and then started over again. Right. They outlasted me. We had, to, I had to bow out at one point, but it was just remarkable. Um, uh, and he was, this was before the Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's or anything like that set in. He was very, uh, coherent and with it and full of energy and it was a it was a really remarkable experience. He's an interesting guy and his his family is a lot of fun. So um, yeah, so how so you were in a big kind of living room of a studio penthouse, and how many how many other people were in this room with you? There was about twenty to twenty five of us. It that's wasn't a not, penthouse; it was that's... actually the hotel bar. Oh, I get it. Okay, yeah. up on the top floor, but they they shut it down for Glenn. That's that's a small room to be in in, in watching Glenn Campbell perform. That's that's really cool. His uh, yeah. I've I've always loved his his version of Little Green Apples. Yeah, he did that. He did that. Yeah, I mean, I I heard everything, every song in his set twice: once on stage and once on a karaoke machine. <laughs> 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 it's just. Pretty funny. Apparently, they they love singing their songs, and they'll do it all night, no matter who's listening. So, yeah, that was good. And so, Branson, Missouri, I took I took the money there that I made. I was I was a dancer at the time. I was that was my role there, and I, I was dancing two shows a day. Got in great shape. And uh, as soon as the year ended, I took all my money and moved up to New York City. Um, I had a the choreographer, the same guy that introduced me to Glenn Campbell. He had a an apartment in Westchester County. And uh, I went and lived there while he was doing some work in Amsterdam. So I had two months in his apartment. And in that two months, I uh, found a place to live in Brooklyn with, uh, with Natalie. Natalie um, Rodick was her name at the time. Now it's uh, Marsan. I, I might have a wrong. She married, right. yeah. a very handsome French Frenchman, I believe. Um, yes. Is that right? Okay, but yeah, and so I, she she let me crash on her couch for a good long time, a good eight or nine months, and then and then Matt, and then uh then Schaefer brought the cavalry. So 
those were those were exciting years. But yeah, that, that was. So it was a few answer. years that y'all both lived in New York, right? Yeah, probably two. That now, sounds about right. Could you guys tell one magical nation about "Let's Sleep Here"? <laughs> For posterity, because I because I have always thought this was the most brilliant premise, and it's never seen the light of day. Just tell it. Well, you, 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 you tell we, it, Shafi. Where we lived, where we lived in Greenpoint, was a solid, you know, ten to fifteen minute walk from the subway, and you know, you so you, you could be out, you know, painting the town red, you know, maybe Upper West Side Manhattan or something, and it could kind of end up taking you, you know, a solid two hours to get home. Uh, you know, after you waited for one subway to, you know, in the middle of the night when, uh, you know, they they do a lot of work on the subway at that time, the the cars don't run as frequently. And I think that that's probably what really gave birth to the idea of let's sleep here. But basically, we would just be out and about in New York City, uh, getting wild, uh, getting loaded. And we would decide we didn't want to make that long trip home. And we would just try to find a place to sleep and sleep there. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we really, it ended up mostly being let's nap here. But, uh, one night we did sleep out on a pier, uh, on the Brooklyn waterfront front and like actually made it until dawn. Oh yeah. And, uh, the guilty piers. Was that the one? No, the Brooklyn waterfront. Oh, yeah, okay. Brooklyn waterfront. It was just this old broken down pier. Like now, it's now it's super high end uh, condo living, but at yeah. the time it was just this busted pile of concrete and and old yeah. blown out vans and stuff. And uh, we wandered out there. It was, it was really nice and really actually beautiful at dawn. So you'd wake up and dawn has lit up the New York City skyline. It was pretty pretty wonderful actually. And but that and that's the premise. But y'all turned it into a short film idea, right? We did. Our uh, Lizzie's husband, Mark Riley, uh, you know, he is an accomplished filmmaker, and wanted he kind of just uh, he was just pretty entertained by us and our hijinks. So he decided to do an available light movie, and we sort of uh, we improvised the screenplay just uh, talking between the three of us and actually did end up filming it. The uh, we're just uh, it's never quite been edited together, but it's, it's a, uh, it's all made. We should uh, one magical nation. Actually, that's a great job for you guys. Uh, y'all should, uh, y'all should coordinate. And this is, uh, this, this is what we need a crowdfunding about a bit of pressure. I don't think it's even funding. If you just got to annoy Mark enough, about finishing yeah. the editing and uh when it's safe to be together again i'm going to new jersey i'm <laughs> gonna i'm gonna apply some pressure yeah I, I try to i try to lift this off the ground every couple of years or so and it uh it's a heavy lift uh, and i i can't i can't seem to get the momentum ever but i am gonna keep trying and we'll i think yeah one one magical nation maybe you're the force we need we should uh, <laughs> we we conceived of it and then almost 10 years later, we finally filmed it. Uh, we conceived it and wrote the screenplay. And then 10 years after that, we finally filmed it. 
But now it's been a, probably about 15 years on top of that at this point. So it's definitely time. I don't, to I don't think it's quite been that long. It's maybe like finish 13 years. I, I was, I was in New York just visiting when y'all did some of the principal filming. I, oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Remember that yeah. Jameson? Like we hung out yeah, and you we were, were like, Oh, tomorrow we're going to go film for, for let's right. sleep here. We, I, I had, uh, I think I had some drinks with, uh, you and your wife and we went to the boathouse on Central Park. That's right. This is their newest segment. It's projects that have not yet seen the light of day is what I'm calling <laughs> it. It's creative endeavors that aren't that aren't alive, but they're not dead. We certainly have plenty of those. Jameson uh Jameson and I alone have have dozens of such projects. Tell us about Zam. We still well, you gotta talk about the fan man. Yeah, we still need to get the fan man out Um You guys didn't know I was gonna grill you like this and like go deep. I, I didn't I didn't plan it, but I was treating this Alex has sort of imbued me with the spirit of Dick Cavett. Like <laughs> Yeah, so the fan man uh was and it's another one that we 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 uh we got all the way through the creation of the of the play this was a theatrical performance not a movie but we we wrote the whole uh the whole play adapting the william Kotzwinkel novel and uh really conceived of a really fun show uh we workshopped it through that was actually a really fun kind of six months that we spent both writing and workshopping this script as uh, i would sit it was when i worked at standard and poor's and I would just flagrantly, I could get all of my, I could get all of the work off my desk by about ten thirty if I really uh, got if I was industrious. And then I just I spent the rest of the time on the clock just uh, with the book sitting next to me, just writing this play based on uh, based on the narration in this book. Uh, and yeah, then we would take it up to a place uh, in Midtown. And it was this oh, kind of wow. weird, yeah. weird basement, and uh, that uh, it was actually Anita Durst. She's the part of the Durst family, you know, the real estate uh, folks. I guess she's the niece, maybe, of uh, of the uh, real estate Durst. And he had basically given allowed her to use this. They had bought an entire block of Forty Second Street, right there, like Forty Second, just uh, just east of. Fifth Avenue, I guess, and uh, he, they, she was just allowed to do whatever she wanted with it. So she uh, put, you know, made art galleries and uh, and DIY performance spaces. So we workshopped the whole show down there, and we basically we had it ready to go. Uh, but yeah. unfortunately, we 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 couldn't acquire. William Kotzwinkel is a uh, is very eccentric. Uh, he's basically a hermit. He lives on an island off the coast of Maine, and we never actually were able to talk to him. But we talked to one of his agents, who's like, "Yeah, no, he's not really interested in anybody doing any of his plays." But apparently, Steve Martin has the film rights to it. So what we need to do yeah. is get in touch with Steve Martin, and then we can do the movie with him. We've been trying to get in touch with Steve Martin to be on the podcast. Yeah, he should really be on the cast anyway. He's, yeah, come see what you've done. It seems, yeah, yeah. yeah this is this is your legacy. 
That was a great. That's funny. We, we, so we, true. We gathered, a, we gathered a really amazing group of actors for that, and they were nobody was paid, but they would show up at this, you know, underground warehouse crazy space, and we'd all rehearse these plays, and it was done real physically. So we'd recreate like a subway ride with just people, <laughs> you know, and 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 then uh, who was it? it? Was Gerardo Gerardo Rodriguez? He's a uh, Harvard-trained actor, great guy. He was sort of uh, playing our our lead through the workshop, and he was so much fun to work with. It was that was one of the best experiences uh, I've ever had. It was my first directing experience, um, and it's sad it didn't come to fruition. But all the, the best stuff doesn't seem to come to fruition. Yeah, <laughs> and we kind of you know we kind of had all of the fun creating it. You know, it's just yeah. I mean, granted, performing it would have been fun too, but. Uh, we we were able to see it come to realization in our minds, and really in, right in front of us. It's just there was never an audience. That period was a really creative renaissance for us. We I also had a I had a temp job in a, for J P Morgan Chase, and uh, they had just they had just combined J P Morgan with Chase Bank, and so they were they were moving into these uh, high rises on Park Avenue. And my job I was like a temp receptionist. And so they just kept moving me to the new floor where nobody was yet because they needed somebody there on the phone. <laughs> so I would sit on the, in this welcome desk on a floor with nobody there. And occasionally somebody would come up and like measure the wall for art or <laughs> somebody would come install some phone stuff, you know, but it was completely silent all day. So I had a, all this time to like write and think and, Schaefer and I collaborated on a bunch of poetry. We went, we were, we were in fact nominated for a pushcart prize for one of those poems. Can we read one of those poems right here, right now? Is that, is that possible? I might, I might have it. Can you dig one? Can you dig one of them up right now? I shouldn't have brought it up. I don't have a handy yet. Okay. Well, we have this. Just it's just because we have this segment on the show. It's poetry corner. I will dig it up for a future cast. Okay. Oh, we also have Polar Vortex poem to read, and we've we talked about AI poems. So Poetry Corner is uh it's it's fuckuned. All right. I'm sorry. What were we talking about? <laughs> is it is that how you pronounce that? Fecuned? I don't no, no, I don't I think I totally mispronounced it. <laughs> Do I say fecuned funny? No, I, I... <laughs> I guess I would say fecund. <laughs> oh, well, I certainly wouldn't say it like that. That sounds like profanity. Fecundity? Uh, that, now that sounds right. I, I, I freely admit that I hadn't said it correctly. Uh, let's get back yeah, to I Jameson's. Just, I honestly get, wasn't sure. I thought maybe uh, I was pronouncing it wrong. We're dissecting Jameson's career arc here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We got it. We're, we're on a storyline here. Um, Shakespeare in New York. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I was thinking back recently, and all. So I joined Actors Equity Union, and you get equity contracts. That's the Actors Union. And I was thinking about it, and every equity contract I've had, which there hasn't been many, were Shakespeare. Um, and that started with. Uh, this play called Edward the Third, which is uh, a debatably 
debatably a Shakespeare play. It's uh, it, what was what had happened was it's essentially <laughs> in his, it's in his apocrypha. It, there's a whole series of plays there that you know he may have written some of or all of or none of, and nobody agrees. Um, well, there was a movement in the American you know scholarly world where they said, you know what, we're gonna say. We, we know enough now. We're going to say that Edward III belongs in the canon. And so that's the, um, I want to say the Arden Shakespeare. So they published it and they said, now this is this is a new Shakespeare play. We, we, we know enough about linguistics and we can attribute as much of it to him as more than like Troilus and Cressida or one of the other plays. So it was a new Shakespeare play. So then there was this sort of scramble to, uh, to do the world professional premiere or the American professional premiere of a Shakespearean play, which is crazy. I mean, how often do you get that opportunity? Well, I, I somehow landed in a production of, uh, of, of Edward III playing Prince Edward, the Black Prince of Wales. And, uh, by, and it was this theater company, which was just a, you know, a band of misfits, a brother and sister run kind of group, um, uh, Kelly and he Heather McAllister. I think they're still there. They called it the Hope Theater Company. We got together, we we produced the play, uh, and then we put it up off 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 Broadway in uh, some little little place. I don't even know what this little place was. A little like on the twenty fourth floor of some building in a little makeshift theater. Um, and then uh, it was uh, you know we received kind of mixed reviews, and I think those are all fair. Uh, but we got picked up. <laughs> that seems a little harsh. Well, you know, but okay. we got we, we got we got picked up uh, and funded to do a an off Broadway version. So when you move into off Broadway, these are those mean mean different things in terms of union affiliation. So when you go into off Broadway, that means now you're working through the union. So I got invited to join Actors Equity Association, which is hard. To, it's a hard thing to get into. It's a big milestone in an actor's career. So I joined. Actors' Equity Union, we did another run of it at the Bank Street Theater uh, in Greenwich Village. Um, and that was that was my, it was a big milestone because I got to, you know, join the union and become, validate you in a lot of ways. Um, but what's funny is, you know, you'd think, well, it wasn't that good of a show. Why did it get picked up and funded? It's because this guy in the show, who, who Schaefer, I'm sure you remember, we called him Johnny Brooklyn. Uh, his real name was Johnny Marigliano. Yeah, Johnny Brooklyn got me a gig moving uh, moving an office uh, office furniture around in Manhattan. That was a uh, that was my second gig in Manhattan was through Johnny oh. Brooklyn. Well, Johnny Brooklyn, Johnny Johnny, his father passed away during the first run, and his his dad left him a bunch of money. And I think it was um, I, I mean he would joke about how his dad was you know mafia blah 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 and all this cash under the couch. And I don't know how much of that was hyperbole, but whatever. He said, "Hey, I'm gonna." He, so we were we were picked up by one of our own actors who came into some money during the show and, and funded the professional version. So it wasn't. It was just right place, right time. It's not as though we were doing amazing work, and that's why it needed to be highlighted. He just was like, "Hey, I got this. I'll pay for this." <laughs> but uh, that's I, that's that. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, act, acting careers have started in way, way stranger and uh, more fringe ways than that one, even. Yeah, yeah. But well, you uh, know, my, the first job I got when I moved to uh, New York City, 
I got soon after I got there. I was really fortunate, but I was playing. I got a job playing Romeo uh, in a production in New Jersey, and I was living <laughs> in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So I had to. And, and it was for school children. This was a Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Uh, sometimes you'd do two, but usually just 10 a.m. performance uh, in Bud Lake, New Jersey. Which you know, so I had to take. I had to get up at like five in the morning or four thirty in the morning and take a, the subway to the path train and the path train over to New Jersey. And then we'd all get into a van and drive like 45 minutes into New Jersey <laughs> to the Fox Amicus Castle Theater. Fox Amicus is Latin for peace friend. So peace friend theater, which was run by this funny little old guy. And he had battlements installed on the top of this stupid old building and a theater in there. And so I, and that, but it, you know, it paid like, $300 a week. And, uh, I was, I was, so it became like my day job, uh, doing Shakespeare again. And, you know, and it, we, and that was in tights and doublets with daggers and swords, all the, all the stuff you associate with old fashioned classic Shakespeare. And, it, you know, I think we had a lot of fun, but that was, I think that was a pretty bad show too. I don't, I don't know. Ones I that, think... You know what ones you get and you get paid for them. Not always the good ones. The ones that you do without me, Jameson, they just, uh, <laughs> the, sure. the ones that you do with me are excellent, but nobody sees them. <laughs> well, that's all right. Right, right. Well, and you know, Schaefer, you were really fortunate. That the my favorite thing, really, I've I've ever done in terms of act, my acting career was also didn't lead to a performance. It was the Joseph Chaikin uh, workshop that he had. Um, you might not, you know. One magical nation might not be aware of Joseph Chaikin. <laughs> he's a uh, he, but he was a uh, you know he's like a pillar in in modern modern theater. He was a member of the Living Theater, which is like the experimental uh, theater that was happening in New York in the '60s. And then he started his own theater called the Open Theater. If you study theater history, he's he's, he's a big deal. But um, he was still he was still around, and he was in New York, and he was working, uh, and he had this workshop. What was interesting about him is he was aphasic. He had had a stroke about a year before I started working with him. Oh, so we know he, about that on this show. That we did. That's right. I, I heard that episode. That was a wonderful episode, by the way. Um, so, but he was aphasic. But he did a tremendous amount of work when he was aphasic. Uh, not just this workshop with me. He was also directing plays for Sam Shepard on on Broadway. He went down to Yale and did a residency. He he did a, he had a whole life after stroke. And he did some of his most important work, and he was uh, he was Samuel Beckett's favorite uh, uh, play American playwright, like only American playwright that Samuel Beckett liked. And he'd gone over to Ireland and spent time with him. So he's a neat guy. But he had an ongoing workshop that I just got into. And this is the beauty of New York. You know, I walk into St. Mark's Bookstore, and there's like one of those uh, just you know black and white printed from a computer, you know. Post on the on the wall. It says, "Hey, Joseph Joseph Chaikin Workshop. Call this number for an audition." And I was like, "Are you kidding? Is that real? You know, call the number. It is." And I and I go and audition for Joe Chaikin, and I get you know, it's a, and then for me, it's like, "Wow, that's amazing. This is a big deal." And you wouldn't think you it would come from you know reading a sign and calling a number, but that's exactly how it worked. And I got into that. And I spent a year working on. You know, we were working on uh, Edward Albee stuff, so I was working on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with them, and then uh, he's always working on Beckett. So I got to work on Waiting for Godot with him for a year, and it's just 
most wonderful thing. And Schaefer was fortunate enough to come see uh, a showcase that we did. And that's really as far as it went. We would do sort of a showcase for friends. And, and yeah, it was super together. cool. And yeah. But Joe Chicken was still on there kind of directing you guys while that was going on. So kind of got to see how the whole thing worked. It's pretty neat. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, you were in, people were invited to come watch, but it was definitely not a performance because he would stop it and start it sometimes and, you know, and talk. And it was, we, he got to watch us kind of work, which was really cool, really cool. But, yeah. There's so many, yeah, my, my New York experiences early on, you know, were very similar as far as the way you pick up jobs. Uh, a lot of times being in bars, telling people that you know how to do things. Uh, I had a, My first gig was actually, uh, we were drinking down at, I think it was Baramundi on the Lower East Side. And we bumped into this guy who, he was a construction guy, but he built sets. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that. You know, I was, I was you know, did, my the- did some theater work. Uh, I said, sure, I can do all that stuff which was a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, (laughs) that's like, I'm a podcaster. He hired me to the next day. I went down and built a set in William Wegman's gallery. You know, the guy who does the pictures. uh, Weimar honors. Yeah. The Weimar honors. So uh, that was, that was my first ever gig in New York. Uh, And then my, my only acting job, I think I did a Moliere play. Uh, with a gang out in Brooklyn, and that was also a girl was sitting there who ended up being the director of this show at a bar, and she was lamenting the fact that uh, the guy, their one of their actors, had dropped out. And I said, "Oh, I'll I'll audition," and uh, and I got the part. So that was I that was fun. Remember that. Remember that. Did a little Moliere. I think you did that. You did that. That was you did that after I had left for Los Angeles. Yeah. So when when did you when did you leave for LA, Jameson? What year, uh, what year was that? <laughs> what, what you don't know like the year? Two thousand and two. That sounds right. Yeah. Probably in yeah. Um, so two years in New York, and then and then you were in LA for about, how long? I had about three years in New York, and then okay. I was in LA for about four and a half. Don't know how I stayed so long in that town. I don't know, but what's that song you'd love to sing? Oh, the <laughs> the um, Michelle Shock. I was I wanted to do the I wanted to do that for the song parody. I just couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the song. <laughs> podcast a long way. Podcast a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. I'll I'll save it for the next one. Yeah, we'll All do right. it. We'll dedicate that one to you, Jameson. Jameson, listen okay. to episode seventy four. I will. I will. I will. But yeah, I, I, I went out there. I was invited by um, our friend uh, Kevin Alejandro, who, uh, who is uh, mildly, not mildly, I'd say he's, what do you, what do you call, what would you call him? Like a B or C celebrity these days? Yeah, he's a, he's a B. He's a solid B. B. Yeah. Solid B. Okay. Yeah, people know that there. guy. Yeah. He's doing well. But he, uh, he uh, invited me out there and, uh, Said, you know, things are great here. You love, you would love working in film. Come see me. And I got a went out there for ten days. Uh, in those ten days, I got a film and I got an agent. And I was like, damn, this is pretty good. And so I ended up staying for a long, long time, five years almost. So, um, 
Yeah. Did you enjoy your time in LA? Not as much as New York. No, it never, never lived up to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, uh, and I left with a pretty sour taste in my mouth, but I was, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. I, I, and there was a lot of cool things that happened out there and I learned a lot. I was really fortunate to uh, connect with the Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum in uh, Topanga Canyon. Topanga is just uh, south of Malibu, uh, north of Santa Monica. Is that anywhere near Tarzana? Jameson, in your time in LA, did you ever make it out to the Tarzana, California Children's Folk Festival? (laughs) Monsters of Children's Folk. Did not. That, that, it, that's the dumbest inside joke. We have got to stop that. No, no. I want to strike that have, for the record. You know, you know, I did have a job for about a year working for Peter Alsop, who is a children's musician. Yeah, and, maybe uh, that's I, why I have my. <laughs> maybe that's why no, I'm always thinking about it. Wait, wait a second. This is all making sense now. Yeah, that's the original. Yeah. I produced a whole whole children's concert series at the at the theater in Topanga. Uh, it was I was I was. It's not Tarzana. It's Topanga. No, it is Tarzana. It's definitely Tarzana. Uh, you know, I had a dream in which Alex Battles directed a musical. Alex Battles produced and directed a musical based on our children's folk songs. So I think Jameson is the Jameson is the perfect person to get involved in this uh, in this project. Yeah, you heard yeah. it here. You heard it here first, folks. I have experience. Um. <laughs> yeah. So the Will the Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum. It's a funny name, but it's it's actually a beautiful theater, outdoor theater. And Will Gear is Grandpa Walton. He's the actor that played Grandpa Walton. And this huh. is a theater he established up in the Topanga Hills. It's now run by Ellen Gear, his his daughter, who was uh, she's been in a lot of wonderful films, and she's always been a Shakespearean actress. She was uh, I was starstruck by her because she was in Harold and Maude, uh, which is a wonderful film, an old favorite uh, of ours. Yeah, and uh, and so they 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 were given. They were doing equity contracts that lasted like nine months, so it turned into a pretty nice, steady job of actually working in the theater, and which balanced out, you know, my fledgling film career that never really quite took off. And uh, I think about the time I stopped making films is when I started to kind of be okay at it. But, yeah. And you were in Friday Night Lights, is that correct? I was. I was in one episode. And that was after I was after L.A. I'd come back to to Texas um, and I'd been back in Texas for a couple of years. I'd moved down to Austin and just kind of got an agent who got me a, an audition for an episode and I got it. And I played the it's a, it's, I can't remember if it's season two, episode three or episode three, season two, but it's one of those. And I played the quarterback at uh, a college freshman quarterback. So the coach at one point leaves the high school and goes to be a quarterback coach at Austin University, I think they called it. And it's Texas was, State. I, that's right. And, uh, but that was uh, – I played that quarterback. I was, so I was a third-string third quarterback, and he had to cut me. And it was a great, it was a great time. It was a, one day of work. Uh, I got 
I got in pads and helmets, and I got out there and I threw the ball in the middle of the stadium. I had to learn how to do that. I, I was about to say, Jameson, do you know how to throw a football? You know, they asked me that in the audition, and I said, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> um, but then once I got in the pads and they handed me the football, I realized I have no idea how to throw the football. <laughs> Apparently it goes, like, way over your head. My, you know, my shoulders dislocate. It was – it was. I was a pretty pathetic excuse for a quarterback. But they – I only had to look good enough to look like a really bad third-screen quarterback. So we pulled it off, and I had a stunt double. <laughs> no. Uh- <laughs> so, <laughs> that actually, when you saw the throw, like, that's not me. Oh, so, okay, okay, wow. Yeah, because I never pulled that off. But um, but it was cool. And, but the, what was sad, and you might remember this, I learned a lesson here. Uh, when the episode aired, I was shocked to learn they cut my big scene, uh, and uh, it was so sad because uh, there was this great scene where I'm in there with Kyle, the guy that plays the the coach, and. We shot it all afternoon. You know, it's an emotional thing. You get mad, kick the desk, and we did it all these different ways. And it was so cool. I had so much fun doing it. And I thought, that, that's, that's a pretty good scene. And they cut it. Um, so maybe it wasn't as good as I, I thought it was. Or, I don't know. I've talked to other actors that were on the show, and they said, you know, they're, all, they're very sympathetic. They're like, no, no, no. They, they shoot a movie, and they make a 45 minute. And they turn it into 45 minutes. So all kinds of stuff gets cut. And, well, you know, I don't really feel that much better about it. But I, I had called everybody, told them to tune in, and then they tuned in, and yeah, it wasn't much to it. So I, I, I remember it. It was exciting for me. It's all right. Yeah. We had uh, your Jameson Driscoll fans still had uh, Clown Hunt to look forward to. Yeah. Wait, I, you know, wait. Clown Hunt was after Friday Night Lights? I thought, um, I thought it was before. You know, we, this isn't. This is not a show about chronologies. I'm sorry. I'm pretty. It doesn't. Sure. It, it, was, does, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It was sure after. after. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I had. Uh, Which is by far my favorite work of yours. <laughs> I, I'm more of a Havelina guy myself. Even well, more Havelina. I'm just kidding. I never saw Havelina. Nobody ever saw Havelina. Havelina didn't didn't come out. So I did some work with Barry Tubb, who who is a maverick from Top Gun fame and Lonesome Dove, uh, local Texas actor from Snyder, a little older than us. Uh, he made both of those movies. To be clear, uh, he was he wasn't up. Maverick in Top Gun. Sorry, that's the other Wolfman. Wolfman. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Not right. not. Obviously, it wouldn't matter. Barry Tubb is not Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Tom I'm sure Barry Tubb is very thankful for that. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he would always talk about how Tom Cruise was just so tiny. <laughs> um, like a tiny guy, little guy, real short. Uh, but, you know, Barry's a pretty big guy. So I, I can imagine there's a good contrast there. Um, but yeah, he made both of those. Those movies, Clown Hunt, which is kind of what it. Clown Hunt like. actually movies saw the saw, saw the light of day, right? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you could buy it on Amazon for a while there. I don't think any of the streaming platforms have have uh, picked it up or anything. But it, it wasn't. Checked, you couldn't buy it. it they had the, the the supply was gone. You couldn't buy it anymore. 
And I, I don't think they're pressing anymore. I see uh, uh, it in his filmography. Uh, it wasn't like yeah. Clown Hunt. Let's Sleep Here, Havelina, or that <laughs> that U boat movie with William H Macy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. I did a day on a movie called U Boat with William H Macy. Do you like, have a copy of Clown Hunt? Uh you know, I, I, I do. But I've sent it off. I can you guys? Can you? Can you give? Can you give the hunter gatherers just the uh, the elevator pitch of Clown Hunt? Yeah. Uh, so the tagline is, is uh, "You were safer in the water." No, wait, no, sorry, that's Havelina. <laughs> let me let me back up. That was a different one. Um, so Clown Hunt is just this movie about hunting clowns so it takes place basically in an alternate reality that resembles our own in pretty much every way except for clowns live have overpopulated they're sort of a different <laughs> they live out in the woods and they they, they they shit jelly beans and uh and you can hunt them and you hunt the clowns uh, and there's a there's a happy clown season and there's a sad clown season and uh, in the film, we like shoot a mime. We saw one of the them exotics, you know, and uh, and it's just a romp. It's just this whole, and you you know, it's a dark <laughs> comedy. It's a dark comedy. It's a comedy. It's a dark, dark, dark comedy. Dark comedy. I I, re- I remember going to a hotel uh, down at South First in Barton Springs for a an informal uh, premiere of Clown Hunt. Do you remember that? South First and Barton Spring. Yeah. 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 Remember that one? Uh huh. There were a few. There did a couple at the Continental Club in, in Austin. Okay. Um, well, I enjoyed that work in that time. Those were fun times. That was, you know, I, I really considered that my, my film school because it was, I mean, say what you want about the movie, but the experience being there, living on a set and, and, being involved in everything. So I was an actor. I'm in the whole movie, but I was also, we were, I was also the crew, you know, so we, we were doing everything. So I learned all the stuff you would learn about making a movie. And then on Havelina, the next film, I was made co-head of the art department with Kate O'Toole, Peter O'Toole's daughter, who's a wonderful lady. Wow. And so, and so she and I worked together as, head of the art department. And art department, if you don't know, essentially is in charge of everything you see on, on, on film with the exception of, you know, lighting and the costumes. But so we're everything else, like all the sets, all the, all the, all the stuff, anything you see. Yeah. For touch or po- props, everything. So it was really cool. So th- those are wonderful experiences for me. And I, uh, you know, regardless of, how you might feel about the end product. It was, it was great. It was a great time. A lot of fun. I, I enjoyed the end product to be clear. Well, I really, I'm sad about Havelina. Havelina is about a killer Havelina. I wouldn't say killer pig, but Havelina is not a pig. It's actually more closely related to uh, a rat or uh, 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 something like that. It's a rodent. It's in the rodentia family. I believe so. Yeah. It's not a pig at all. It is um, Werman. So, <laughs> yeah. But that one had a 
pretty well-developed script. The script had won some awards, and they brought in some actors. From, and it was a much more organized uh, and well-polished shooting experience. I mean, the premise is, is this pig wants vengeance. This this <laughs> Wetterman. This ha- yeah, he wants vengeance, and so there's this killer pig. And I got to be like, I got to do puppetry. Like, we had, we had these, you know, javelina heads made. But they're like snarling and red eyes and i got to put my hand in there and be the puppet and uh i got to do all kinds of wonderful wonderful stuff and you grew out a big gnarly beard i grew out a big beard i shaved my head bald in that movie i got killed right away i was like the first first one dead whereas in clown hunt i was one of the last no i didn't i didn't last long in javelina so you've done it all done it well i wouldn't say that but I've, I've died a couple different ways. <laughs> Haven't we all? And then after Havelina came business school? Let's, More or less. I was just going to say, you, so at some point you, you turned to us all and you said, I'm retiring from acting. And yeah. I, I was crestfallen. I was heartbroken, man. I was like, no. And I, I was in denial too. I was like, that's not true. Like what he's going to do something else and then he'll get another chance to, and then no, you went and did some other stuff. Yeah. So it was after Havelina, I had moved to Houston and followed a, uh, a girl down there and I'd gotten a job at the continental club in Houston. There's one there too. And, uh, I forget about that. and, uh, and then, like, shortly after I got to the Continental Club, I was bartending. It's a rock and roll bar, live music venue. They fired fired a bunch of people, and I was asked to step in as, like, manager, general manager of the whole club, which is a pretty cool deal and, you know, exciting. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was excited to do it. And uh, But I still had an agent. I'd shot a couple of commercials, and uh, my agent called and said, hey, you know, we're casting Oliver Stone wants to meet you. He's uh, going to be in Shreveport tomorrow, and uh, and he's auditioning for this new film called W, which is the George W. Bush film that you eventually may have seen. A uh, biopic. The biopic. And uh, and she's like, I got you an audition tomorrow. I'm going to send you the sides. You know, work on those tonight, and, and you you got to be there at 11 a.m. tomorrow. And you get there, and I, and I, I thought about it, and I was like, I could do this, but I was like, I really just don't want to. And if, if you if you know anything about how these things go, they always say Oliver Stone wants to meet you. He's gonna meet you tomorrow. It's never him. It's always, you know, some yeah somebody from his office, some lady or, or guy that is helping him do casting regionally. So you know, I know he's not gonna be there. You know, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't there. And I don't really care either because I didn't want to learn the lines. I was like, God, more lines. I don't I don't have time for this. I have to drive to Shreveport. I got to take off of work. And I just said, my, my agent was like, uh, this is so exciting. I'm excited for you. You should take this job. I'm so excited. You can get there tomorrow at 11, right? And I was like, yeah, I can't. No, I'm not going to do it. I just, no, I don't want to do it. And she was like, no. And I was like, yeah, I just don't, I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to Shreveport. And she was like, well, James said, look, you're in Houston. This is as good as I can do. This is you can't get, I don't get better auditions than this. And I said, you're right. I just really don't want to do this anymore. You don't need to call me anymore. And we, so she's like, okay. And we hung up. So I fired my agent. 
And, and then uh, she, and another, then she shed a single tear. I don't. Yeah. Another. <laughs> also, another quitting your job story. Yeah. 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 But it, but it, but, it, but it, this huge weight lifted from my shoulders when I did that. And I, I, I kind of decided to take it a step further and throw the whole whole career out the window. Say, so I'm just not going to do it, and I'm going to be a guy who doesn't know what he's doing with his life for a while. And uh, and I'm really glad I did. And I, I, I was out of it for 10 years until just you know recently when I've come back to, to study arts administration in the theater, kind of coming at it at a, at a new angle. Um, so tell us about the exhilaration of being back in the arts. Not, well, not for kids. Be a, <laughs> kids, go, be an engineer, be a lawyer. Don't go for well, a life in the arts, but go. Right. Well, you know, I wouldn't say it's just exhilarating. I mean, it is. There are moments like that, but it's, it's, it's awesome. Because now I can look back and kind of realize I had this sort of codependent relationship with, with acting, with directing and all that, that whole career. I was only happy if I was working, if I was doing well, and it, so much was tied into that. Like, if I didn't have a job, I was depressed. So the highs were high and the lows were low, you know, and so that it's this real unstable way of being and taking 10 years off and now kind of having built myself back up. I, my self, self-esteem is wrapped around other things and I have other values and I've discovered other talents and skills and there's a lot more to life to me than just this work um so now coming back to it it's you know what it's exhilarating and it's cool and i'm so happy about it but i'm just a much more level person now so i don't i'm not i'm like it is a wonderful feeling to be back and to be back in the world and amongst my people and i am very happy about it but I don't have any interest in going back to that roller coaster of, uh, you know, you know, exhilaration and depression and exhilaration and depression. I got the job. I didn't get the job. That was a great performance. That was a terrible performance. You know, it's, I don't, I don't want to get back into that. And I don't think I, I will, though. I do think I'll get the opportunity to act again and work in films again and, and direct theater or, and do a lot of different things with it, but I'll do it in a more, level level-headed way that where i get to enjoy it more there's not any pressure on it so yeah i gotta say i'll bet that i'll bet that having your sense of self-worth and happiness tied up in things other than theater it's going to vastly improve your auditions yeah you know like probably you're going to uh you're because you're gonna walk in there so cool and not worried about it and (laughs) yeah I mean, exactly, exactly. Just having, and so, some people really thrive in that environment. Yeah, I think Kevin Alejandro is a good example. I mean, he, he, uh, he loves it. I mean, he, he, and he does very well with with the that kind of pressure and really tying everything up in it and kind of like gambling big all the time on yourself. Um, like the podcast. Like the podcast, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but for me it was like I need, you know, I'm I'm happier. I'm just a more rounded person. I don't have this need to constantly work, but I'm excited to work when the opportunity presents itself. That's good. 
So here we are. So that brings us to the present day, right here to the podcast. That's it. I want everybody right now in One Magical Nation to just be here now for just a second. I'm glad to be here with these guys. Actually, we're glad to be here with you too, and uh, I'm really excited to have to have heard a life story. That was a real journey you took us on, Jameson. Thanks. Yeah, well, thanks for indulging me. I hope it was, uh, you know, no, I was pulling it out of you. No, that was <laughs> that was it was perfection. It was perfection in uh, imaginary radio. I got something, Matthew, I think we're going to, I bumped most of the potential uh, section. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, I I totally just turned it into like Jameson's life story thing. No, I think that's I know you you had some stuff on the show sheet. Let's, we'll save it until 7. I just had those in case, yeah. But I would like to do, I would like to do the poem because... Uh, work in progress. Jameson, you don't mind participating in a uh, Yield, Yield Poetry Shop? No, I'm happy to do so. Yield Poetry Corner. So, what am I, what, what's happening here, guys, is Poetry Corner. I have the first draft of a poem that I wrote about the polar vortex. Yes! And it's very much the first draft. Uh, I haven't even edited edited it once so the idea is, is here we're going to do the a little experiment where i read this and then i'm going to edit it try to get where i want it and maybe uh, a few episodes down the road i'll read the finished project for you guys if if the finished product ends up being something of quality we'll see i think i'm sure it will be is it possible so, that the first draft is like perfection i don't think it is well hey you oh, tell me okay. oh. uh, i, make, I, I uh, like I like first draft perfection, personally. That's what the podcast is. (laughs) All right. Here we go. It's called, won't surprise anyone, Polar Vortex. A really hard week came along at the end of a really hard year. The bamboo in the backyard bent, supplicant to the raging storm. The North Pole, during its counterclockwise migration, got lost and made a hard turn south. And now the doves on Bill's feeder are puffed up like dirty snowballs. Cardinals and Blue Jays are here too, and about a hundred sparrows. A regular party of chirps and tweets is going on just off my back porch where I've sat alone for days. It will be warm again before we know it, but for now, this darkness is the darkness of the tail inside our wide open, chirping, hungry mouths see that's what i was talking about for that doesn't need any editing that's nice to hear i'll, I'll see let's we'll, we'll let it marinate we'll see <laughs> have, you, have you considered like uh, joining sort of like a like a bird watching group or community <laughs> i feel like you talk about birds a lot i do uh there it's because uh, Bill and Linda do such a good job of feeding them here. There's, there's always a bunch of them out back, and it's a, it's great fun. But yeah, no, maybe I should start. I should start keeping a keeping a log of them. Definitely. Well, I think I think they there's probably like some you know wonderful groups with interesting people that you could meet. And uh, you might be right. Um, uh, did you see the movie with Steve Martin about bird watching? 
No, I no, called, but I'm so excited just to hear about that. It's called a big year or something, or uh, it's if you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's an amazing movie. Uh, Steve Martin and Jack Black, and they're bird watchers. Yeah, and they're bird bird watchers. It is bird. It is, it is the most heartwarming, uh, funny, uh, neat movie that that uh, actually your brother and I watched it together. Michael and I, we got oh. it at at the Red Box, and we were both like, "Man, that was a really good movie." And it was kind of it was just about uh, kind of a little comedy about bird watchers. Check hmm. it out. Eight av- it gets eight avocados. Eight avocados. All right. <laughs> well, folks, I think that brings us to the end of one magical hour. Thank you, Jameson, for joining us. Thank you, one magical Thank universe, you. for listening right. to us. All right. Why? Let's start saying one magical universe. Let's gonna... change the. Let's change the name of the show. <laughs> Jameson, I decided that we needed to start including not just our global neighbors, but even our extraterrestrial neighbors. So instead of one magical nation, we're going to talk about one magical universe. Yeah, because you, you know you really don't know who's listening. You don't know who's yeah. listening, and this is in perpetuity. Like Out this there. is this is going on our permanent record. I know that sixty-five percent of them are in the are in the subcontinent of India. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, I'm just looking at our downloads in India for the last 28 days. It's we're at 2,000. We need What's to do another. Video? We need to do another uh, India episode. Yeah, and just to be clear, in, in the last 28 days, India outpaces the U.S. by two. Like, yeah, there's two to twice one. as twice as many downloads. So we've. We have a new market. We are, we are coming for you, India. We're coming I would like, to you. I would like We're to ask you an- again, if you're if you're on the subcontinent, if you're if you're on the exact opposite side of the world from Texas, uh, get at us. Hit up the feedback at yeah, onemagicalhour.com. Hit up our Apple reviews. Hit up our Facebook page. There's lots Write of ways to get in contact. Write us a review. You know- you know, you, you could probably link to the Clown Hunt Havelina uh, trailer on your on your Facebook page. Oh, let's definitely. Do, let's send do that. that. <laughs> and it, uh, if there's anything else uh, you're involved in, um, you know, maybe some of your online journalism or something that you'd like for One Magical Universe to take a look at, uh, just send it along and I'll put it on our Facebook page. We'll tweet it out. Sure. sure. But we're going to have to have ridged chips. Jameson, do you know our sign-off? The poorer the choices, the sweeter the wine. I've been driving some back roads gravel, walking in the woods alone. Well done, Jameson. I think you're the first person. It's good to get away, but I really got to say, I'm happy to be back home. Down the street there's a riot You can't find quiet The clouds and the crowds are dense It's great to be back In New York City Nothing else makes sense Some folks dream of a quiet little stream A 
cabin in the Tennessee hills Sweet country chapels, trees full of apples Real low monthly bills And I hear what they're saying About the games we're playing The trash and the cash expense But I had to get back to New York City Nothing else made sense I'm not saying that it's the best way I only know what works for me And I know that on the best days You wake up where you want to be Sun on the ocean World in slow motion, pretty girl lying in the bed Read a line of news while I slip on my shoes Kiss her on her sleepy head Yes, it's true, Your Honor, that I'm a goner But in my defense I had to get back to New York City Nothing else made sense I had to get back New York City, nothing else made sense.